Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to search the Scriptures with us as we continue to investigate Jesus' favorite topic, the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. Have you ever stopped to ask yourself the question, what is the Christian Gospel? What did Jesus challenge his audiences to believe as the Gospel or Good News? What did Jesus mean by the phrase so often found on his lips, the Kingdom of God? When did you last hear a preacher or evangelist invite us to repent and believe in the gospel about the kingdom as Jesus invited his audiences to do, as we find written in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15? We've been asking some fundamental questions about the mission and ministry of Jesus in first century Palestine. We were surveying a number of prominent writers who all agreed that whatever it was that Jesus did, it all had to do with that one single basic concept, that's to say the kingdom of God and the gospel about the kingdom. We can get a sense of the massive importance of the kingdom of God in the teaching of Jesus by looking at a series of biblical texts from the gospels, the gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where we find the term kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven being used with great frequency by Jesus. Now, we want to point out right from the start, there is absolutely no difference in meaning between the term kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God. They are synonyms. They have the same meaning. As it happens, only Matthew uses the expression kingdom of heaven. And as is well known, the Jews had a habit of not using the word God sometimes, but avoiding it by substituting the word heaven. And so Matthew, who probably addressed his book to a primarily Jewish Christian audience, avoided the term God and used the substitute term heaven. And he thus employed the expression kingdom of heaven rather than kingdom of God. But there's absolutely no difference in meaning between those two terms. If you have any doubt about this question of the kingdom of God, being the same as the kingdom of heaven, simply look up a given text in Matthew where the kingdom of heaven appears and then look at the parallel text, the repeat of that text, in Mark or Luke, where you'll find exactly the same words are used, but the change occurs only in the expression kingdom of God, as distinct from kingdom of heaven. So we have no doubt at all that the term kingdom of heaven has exactly the same meaning as the phrase kingdom of God. There's no difference in meaning at all between those two terms. In Matthew 4, verse 17, we have the beginning of Jesus' ministry as recorded by Matthew. We read this, From that time on, Jesus began to preach or proclaim and to say, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was this message which galvanized the first apostles also into activity. They were captivated by the words of the Messiah here as he urged the people of Israel to turn around, to reorientate their lives and commit themselves wholeheartedly to the message of repentance and belief in the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God as being at hand. The kingdom message is what stimulated activity and produced converts to the Christian faith. And so it should be today also. Those words should have just as much thrill and excitement for us today, 2,000 years later. 
The same thrill as they had for those who heard them originally in Palestine some 2,000 years ago. This is the beginning of the teaching of Jesus. It's from this verse, Matthew 4.17, 4.23, the references to the kingdom there. It's from those verses that all understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ must begin. Now, in the 23rd verse of the same chapter, we read that Jesus traveled throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming or heralding the gospel of the kingdom. Matthew 4, verse 23. These are simply summary statements of what Jesus was preoccupied for the entirety of his mission and ministry. What then is this kingdom about which Jesus was speaking? Well, it was not the foggy or nebulous or vague idea that sometimes it is today. It's quite obvious if we study the history and the background of first century Palestine that the kingdom of God was about as well known as the Constitution of America, or if you're British, the Tower of London, or in fact Buckingham Palace or Westminster Abbey. It was as well known as Magna Carta, if you're a student of history. The kingdom of God was simply the term which described the hopes of all the prophets of Israel, the national hope of Israel indeed. It promised a time when Israel would become a leading nation that the Gentiles would be rejected from the land and freedom would come to the people of Israel as promised by their covenants based upon the promises made to Abraham and also to King David. And so immediately we see that Jesus was a forward-looking preacher. He looked ahead to the time when the kingdom of God is going to be established on the earth. And he urges the people to repent, to get ready for the great event which is the kingdom of heaven destined to appear on this earth. It's most important for us to say at the outset that the kingdom of heaven does not mean heaven, at least not in the sense of a place removed from the earth. A great deal of misunderstanding has arisen because people instinctively think that the kingdom of heaven must somehow mean what contemporary preaching means by heaven. And by heaven, of course, most people understand some place removed from the earth, a region beyond the skies. It's absolutely contrary to the spirit of the Hebrew Bible on which Jesus was nurtured to imagine that the kingdom of heaven would be anywhere other than on the earth. The kingdom of heaven does not mean a kingdom in heaven, much less a place for disembodied souls when you die. In subsequent programs, we'll be tracing the origin of this famous phrase, the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God, tracing it back to its source and its roots in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. And we'll find there the simple fact that the kingdom of God was always expected to come upon the earth renewed. This earth indeed renewed and refreshed, not just the earth as it is now, but an earth purified and renewed and full of the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. In Matthew chapter 8 and verse 11 and 12, Jesus made a significant and instructive statement about the future kingdom. He said this, I tell you that many will come from the east and from the west and will take their seats with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the natural heirs of the kingdom will be driven out into the darkness outside. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
There we have a fine summary of the two destinies of man. On the one hand, the righteous led by Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the patriarchs of the Hebrew Bible, those will come and sit down to recline at the banquet in the future kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God. And the righteous indeed of all ages will be gathered from the four points of the compass to join the patriarchs, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, in a tremendous celebration in the land of Israel, in Jerusalem. And that will indeed be the kingdom of God on earth, the initiation of that great kingdom. On the other hand, the natural heirs of the kingdom, referred to here by Jesus, will be driven out, that's to say, driven out of the kingdom, excluded from the bright lights of the banquet hall of the kingdom, driven out into the darkness outside, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus here referred to the terrible disappointment, the terrible anguish to be experienced by those at that time who had refused to become believers in the Messiah and his message about the kingdom. He referred to these people as the natural heirs of the kingdom. You see, the Jews are the ones who ought to have accepted the Messiah when Jesus came and presented himself to them as the king of Israel, but many of them tragically did not and continue not to receive Jesus as Messiah to this day. And so Jesus warns them that those who refuse to take him seriously and to accept his claims to be the Messiah, those who refused to believe that he was indeed the promised Messiah, those who really ought to have qualified for the kingdom, many of them will be driven outside where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It would be hard to overemphasize the importance of this section of Scripture in Matthew chapter 8, verses 11 and 12. We have a wonderful picture here of Jesus' view of the kingdom and of the two destinies of mankind. In Matthew 9, verse 35, we have another summary statement, if you like, of Jesus' mission. The text says that he was going around all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and heralding the gospel about the kingdom. It's important to note here that Jesus was indeed viewed as a rabbi, as a teacher. Many people think of Jesus only as having died for them as their Savior, but there's a great deal more to salvation through Jesus than simply his death on the cross, as important as that is. Jesus here is presented as a rabbi, as an instructor, as a teacher of wisdom, and a teacher indeed of the good news about the kingdom of God. And in Matthew 13, verse 11, Jesus concentrates on the happiness and the joy of the disciples by saying to them, to you disciples, it's granted to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to those who are outside, it's not given. When Jesus refers to the secrets of the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God, he means those divine plans and purposes which God had from the very beginning, those plans and purposes which are now revealed by Jesus to the disciples. Understanding those secrets, God's world plan, his kingdom plan, Understanding those secrets involves an understanding of the very agenda of God himself, his grand design for the earth, and your part in that great design. Understanding those secrets is the great privilege granted to the disciples, and we should add the great privilege which can also be extended to us equally in the 20th century 
if we carefully study the teaching of Jesus about the kingdom. In Matthew 13 and verse 19, Jesus explains the famous parable of the sower. He likens himself to one who is sowing the seeds of an idea, the seed of the gospel. Jesus explained it this way. He said, When anyone hears this message concerning the kingdom, the devil is there to snatch away the message which has been sown in his heart so that he may not believe it and be saved. You have to compare there Matthew 13:19 with Luke 8, verse 12. Now, these texts, of course, make intelligent reception of the gospel about the kingdom a most important part of the salvation process. In Matthew 6, verse 33, Jesus makes the kingdom of God the most important thing in life. Matthew 6, verse 33, he said, Seek first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness, and all these other things, physical blessings and so on, will be added to you. Make the kingdom of God, in other words, your first priority. Here's a most specific instruction of Jesus and a great key to successful Christian living. Seek first the kingdom of God. Set your heart on the kingdom of God as the objective of salvation. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 41, again we have a marvelous picture of the final destiny of man. Jesus here speaks of himself as the Son of Man who is going to send out his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all who violate his laws. And these will be thrown into the fiery furnace. Here we have a glimpse of the terrible penalty that will come to the wicked, those who are not part of the kingdom of God when Jesus comes to establish it at his second coming. Our time is running out for today. We ask you to request from us our free book on the kingdom of God and join us again for our continued discussion of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.